Hey, everybody. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbV. In each episode, Nora has a real conversation with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they took action to understand this disease. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start Embracing the Journey and learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry waved everybody. Quiet, Jerry. Uh, that's Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. That's us. That is us. The legend. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was impossible for me to research this without only thinking of two things. Two movies. Clive Owen. Nope. Uh, Didn't see that one. That's, that's good. Was that the one called King Arthur? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it was a good? I thought so. I'll check it out because I dig this character. And I've seen a lot of the movies that that tackle Camelot. Mm-hmm. But Excalibur... Mm-hmm. And uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, of course. I, I, I surely I've seen Excalibur because I had Showtime when I was a kid. It, it was a big, hot movie when you were twelve, right? In the early eighties, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the Holy Grail. I mean, yeah. How do you not see that? It's the Holy Grail of right. comedies, some say. Yeah, I could see that. You should check out Excalibur. It actually holds up pretty well. Does it? Yeah, and it's um has it's somewhat notable for having a couple of early appearances by. Actors that went on to be uh, much bigger. Oh, yeah. uh, I love movies like that. Yeah. uh, Gabriel Byrne is in it and Mm -hmm. just barely. And um, Liam Neeson. Oh, really? And I think both of them, it was their first roles. Wow. And uh, they're like hardly in the movie. Who was, who played King Arthur? Um, Was it anybody like I've heard of or like they were, they, they had to have been big at the time, right? Who was it? Richard Burton. You know, when I was, uh, like 13, I saw Richard Harris do Camelot at oh, yeah. the Fox Theater in Atlanta. So is that like... Pretty neat, huh? Is that based on the Arthurian legend? What, the the musical Camelot? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. But I mean, you know, it's a musical. Yeah. And it's from the 60s, so you can never tell. Like, it, it could have just been named Camelot. That's what I was asking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's about the Arthurian legend. But out of all of them, I would say, hands down, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is the best of the Arthurian legend movie (laughs) adaptations. Yeah, I haven't seen it in years, but it's like one of those that I saw so many times, I can still quote most of it, you know? I mean, it has it all. It has the um, killer rabbits, the killer bunnies. Yeah. It has the uh, coconut-carrying swallows. Yeah. It has the knights who say knee. Yeah. It has the black knight who merely has a flesh wound. Yeah. Uh, It has everything. Got it has singing, dancing. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. The great Graham Chapman as uh, Arthur. Yeah. And um, Bring Out Your Dead. Yeah. So many things that are in the lexicon. 
All came from, from that movie. That movie yeah. yeah. Uh, Nigel Terry played Arthur in the uh, Excalibur movie. I don't. I don't know who he is. You'd probably recognize him. Helen Mirren was Morgana, though. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, small roles. Oh, Patrick Stewart was the other guy. Gotcha. He played. Uh, was he bald? Has he always is like he always been bald? One no, of those. Well, guys? I'm sure he had hair at some point. Oh, I'll bet he looked weird <laughs> with hair. I can't imagine him with hair. What if he was born with like a full head of hair? <laughs> right. And that was it. He right. started losing it after that. <laughs> right. For two days, and then it all came out. All right. So anyway, started to disrupt us early on. But those two movies, I just, uh, every time I saw Utha Pendragon. This is a cool name. <laughs> it's a great name. I couldn't help but just kind of say those lines in my head. So, I mean, you, you make a good, or you raise a good point. Um, there's so many Arthur movies out there. Sure. Arthur books. Sword in the Stone was pretty good, too. Yeah. Um that everybody has a, a kind of a basic idea of um, the King Arthur legend, mm-hmm. the Arthurian myth, or romance it's sometimes called too. Sure. But um, what I think probably a lot of people don't know is that it is a syncretized, meaning the Catholics got their mitts on it mm-hmm. and threw a bunch of Christianity on top of something that was already extant. And in this case, um, what was extant was a group of myths that arose from the Celts, the Celtic people, mm-hmm. which is pretty substantial that we have this because the Celts never wrote anything down, mainly on account of the fact that they didn't have a written language. Their tradition was entirely oral, which is why we have very little of an understanding of the Celts. Most of our understanding of the Celts comes from outside observers like Pliny the Elder. Thank God for Pliny. Yeah. Or else we might not even know the Celts ever existed. Yeah. Um, but the Arthurian legend is very clearly based on Celtic mythology. But even more enticing to me is the idea that it's possibly, or it's possible that that um, Celtic legend, that Celtic mythology, mm-hmm. is rooted somewhat in fact. Like yeah. Arthur may have been a real person. Yeah, that's and, sort of the age-old question. Yeah, but I mean, I find that in, in astoundingly fascinating. Like, there's places that are part of the Arthurian legend that do exist in real life. Oh, yeah. But whether or not they actually were a part of Arthur's life, if there was a real Arthur, mm-hmm. I mean, each spot um, generates awesome debate. Yeah. You know, so for the anthropologist, the history major in me, I, I just am fascinated by the whole thing. Agreed, sir. So let's go over the basic legend of, of Arthur. Uh, killer king, legendary hero. Yeah. Saved uh, Britain when Britain needed saving. Yeah, because the Roman Empire had crumbled. Yeah. Um, and the Saxons were all over Britain, the Germanic tribes. Yeah. And he defeated them. Yes. And brought uh, great peace to the land and built a castle called it Camelot, gathered up uh, knights together around around a round table, which we'll get into, and uh, There's a lot of rounds to help bring peace to to the land, and and he did, and he did so very successfully. And in fact, in 2002, uh, the BBC voted King Arthur as number 51 in the poll of 100 Greatest Britons. Yeah, even though he might not even be a real dude, and the Britons are smart folks, and they still voted him that. They're pretty sharp. Yeah. So um, those are the broad strokes, uh, but depending on which version you're reading, it's going to be different. Did he pull a sword from a stone? Uh-huh. Was it Excalibur? Did he get it from the lady in the water? Uh-huh. Was his undoing uh, Mordred, or was it 
Guinevere and Lancelot. Yeah. Depends on which version you're reading, and we'll go over those versions. Right. And we can, you can kind of trace these back to, you know, you can see layer after layer being added. So when you look at the Arthurian legend as we understand it now, yeah. you can kind of peel back layer by layer and get to the original stuff. Yeah. Um, which is pretty old indeed. Like it, they think that, um, well, we'll get to that. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the Arthur story. Okay. Um, so you've got Arthur. He comes along at a time when uh, Britain is in its greatest need. There were some great kings, possibly relatives of Arthur, like Uther Pendragon. His father, supposedly, would have been one of the rulers. Yeah. Right? But you're smiling because you like that name. <laughs> All I can think of is, I am Arthur, son of Uther Pendragon. Okay. Yeah. So you just say that anytime okay. you want, man. Um, so, But he arrives at a time when... Britain is being overrun by the Saxons. It's being um, ruled by the Saxons. Like there's no British king on the throne. Yeah. And there's a legend that comes up that there is a sword in a stone and only the rightful king, meaning only the line of Uther Pendragon. Yep. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> uh, will be able to remove the sword from the stone. And when that person comes, he will be dubbed the king of kings and will restore um, the the rightful um, lineage to the British throne. Yeah, and uh, in some stories, like I said, a young man, a young Arthur, pulls the sword. Uh, sword? It's a sword from the swan. Right. <laughs> and uh, in other legends, it does come from the Lady in the Lake. He rides out on a barge, and the hand stretches up with the sword in it. All you see is the arm, right, coming from the water, and he gets the sword uh, that away. Well, and and then in uh, I think a third a third way he pulls the sword from the stone, proclaiming himself Arthur. Yeah, and everyone goes nuts. The ruler of Britain. Everyone's like, he's the dude. Right. Like we got one of our own back in power now. Yeah. And then that sword breaks, and that's when he gets Excalibur from the Lady of the Lake. That's right. The most powerful magic sword in all the land. Uh, it's a it's what you call a bitchin' sword. <laughs> this is bitchin' sword. Uh, Merlin, in some stories, comes around uh, right about this time. And he uh, appears when Arthur is uh, a teen, generally, um, associated with the Lady of the Lake there in Avalon. They're both from the same neck of the woods, Which, apparently. Avalon is a magical mystery place, yeah. even outside of the Arthurian legend. As far as the Celts go, it was a. It means apple land. Really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, and I guess apples were super magical to the Celts. But Avalon itself is um, almost an otherworldly, afterlifey kind of area, even though it's a physical place you can go to in Britain. Right. Still. Interesting. Uh, it's interesting that the apple has always been a uh, strange fruit. Yeah. Like I know it was probably wasn't an apple in Eden, but it's all in. I wonder. S- Southern Baptists called it an apple. Yeah, and I wonder when fruit. what it was originally in like know. Aramaic. And yeah. then when it was converted to apple, because wh- wh- where's the apple indigenous? I don't know. Or we, the or the apple in uh, the <laughs> the uh, what was the children's? Was it not Snow White? Was it Snow White? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the poison apple. Poison apple again. Yeah. I saw a video today that we've been eating apples wrong. Did you know that? I've seen that. Or I can't guy. bring myself to eat an apple like that. There's a there's a middle spindle, aka the core, that is not to be consumed. That is not true. I, I won't do it. It's just too weird. But this, you can eat the core. There is no core. 
There is a core. I no, make it not. every. I create the core <laughs> every. I I I I show it just like a sculptor reveals the sculpture within a slab of stone. Uh-huh. So too do I reveal the core in an apple. Let me ask you this: If you cut the apple up into the eight pieces and get the seeds out, you can just eat. That's the whole apple. No, no, you have to shave off like <laughs> that inner part, the core. For those of you who don't know, there's a video of a dude eating an apple from the, the bottom end forward, and he just eats the whole thing. Because he's a psychopath. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry to get sidetracked by the history of the apple. Back well, no, I think you do raise a really, really interesting point, Chuck. I wonder, you know, when the apple started getting a bad rep, when the apple stood in mm-hmm. for other fruit. Yeah. I, I think that's an excellent thing to look up. Okay. So let me know Let's what you find. All right. So Arthur, like I said, he builds Camelot. That's his uh, castle. Once he restores peace. Yeah. Well, no. Oh, no? No, I think that was he went out and got all the knights to help him restore peace. Oh, okay. So he built Camelot in anticipation of restoring peace. Exactly. Uh, and recruited knights uh, for the round table. And we might as well go ahead and leak that. The round table was supposedly round because we're all equals and there's no head of a round table. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it was either fashioned by Merlin. Yeah. Or it was a gift from Guinevere, who we haven't gotten to yet, uh, a wedding present from Guinevere's father. Yeah. Even though he got it from Arthur's father, Uther Pendragon. Yeah. And her father was King Leo de Grants, who I think that was Patrick Stewart. Gotcha. In Excalibur. Um, so the knights go out. They d- defeat all the outsiders there. Uh, peace reigns. And that's why Camelot to this day has the connotation of, and especially with the Kennedy, it's like this, you know, like peaceful, idyllic situation. Right. That's Camelot. And although it was a place. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. It, it sort of represents more than a place. Right. It, it, it represents the peace that he brought. Yes. With these knights. Okay. Um, then he meets Guinevere. Yeah. Uh, falls in love with this little hottie. And uh, then, depending on what story you read, there might have been an affair with Lancelot or uh, Mordred, who was either his nephew or, depending on what you read, or his son. Uh, which technically he could be both because supposedly oh, yes. he had Mordred with his half-sister, Morgana. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Who is translated into Morgan Le Fay, who's like this kind of enchanting, temptress, evil woman Yeah, um, who helps Mordred um, try to take over Camelot, tries to take over the throne. And Arthur says, nay, to you, we will do battle at a place called Camlon. That's right. And that Mordred is, dies. That's where Mordred is killed and Arthur is um, wounded. And depending on the version of the story, Arthur's either mortally wounded or just kind of wounded. But either way, <laughs> he gives his, uh, his sword, Excalibur, to Bedivere. And says, you need to return this to the Lady in the Lake. After kind of waffling, because Bedivere's like, I could use Excalibur. Yeah. Uh, he finally gives, he, he throws Excalibur to the lake and this arm comes up and goes, ching, and like catches it and then goes back down. And he's like, there was a Lady of the Lake. Yeah, that's the Excalibur movie version. Okay. They follow that version. Okay. Because I remember distinctly him chunking the sword out there and the arm coming up. That's cool. It is very I cool. Th- I, I, I have a, some vague mental memory of that as well. Sure. Um, and then Arthur's taken to Avalon to either die and be buried, which is, nah, 
Um, or he recuperates and hangs out there to come back to reign over Britain in its next time of greatest need. Right. Which is why Arthur is frequently referred to, and there is a, a book titled The Once and Future King. Because yeah. he will return again when Britain needs him. That's which right. makes him like kind of the British Superman. Yeah. Uh, before we go any further, my friend, I think it's a good time for a message break. Stuff you L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, now we're back. So that's the uh, that's the basic legend. I mean, like we just basically condensed thousands of pages yeah. <laughs> of different books and thousands, well, not thousands, but hundreds of years of um, folklore into a few minutes. But you get the gist of it. Sure. You know the story. And if this if this ignited your fancy and you're like, I want to know more, man, you've got a, you could dedicate the rest of your life to yeah. researching and reading Arthurian legend. Somehow. Because there's tons of it. Yeah. And and it's all like we said, um, it's a literary tradition, but it's rooted in an oral tradition among the Celts, the pagan Celts. Um, but this literary tradition itself is really, really old. The the first uh, mention of Arthur is um, from I think the fifth century, right? A fifth century Welsh poem. Uh, sixth. Sixth century Welsh poem. But when you're off by a hundred years back then, yeah, it right. ain't no big deal. Um, especially with a man who may or may not have existed. Yeah, true. But Arthur pops up in one line in this Welsh po- poem called the uh, Gododin. 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 Yeah. It's a great word. And this uh, poem eulogizes the Welsh warriors. Maybe Britain's oldest poem. Yeah, because the Celts would have started to have become Christianized around this time. Yeah. Hence, things would have started to have been written down. So this poem would have popped up really right around that cusp between the end of purely Celtic culture. Yeah. Because the British Isles were the last stronghold of the Celts, which swept all the way to Asia. Like, they covered Europe, parts of North Africa. The Celts yeah. were everywhere. But um, it was the um, the British Isles that were the last holdouts until about, like, the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th centuries um, when they became Christianized. All right. So they're Christianized at this point? 
yeah, by the time this poem came out, the very fact that there's a written poem yeah. me- shows you that the, the Christians have made down. their way okay. in this area. And the Celts are all just telling stories, licking their wounds and telling stories still. Right. Not writing stuff down. They're like, Do you, have you, are you familiar with mistletoe? Yeah. Do you know about knocking on wood? <laughs> Look at you, utilizing all your information. Uh, so uh, some other references uh, in literature, um, the Historia... Britonum, History of Britain, uh, AD 800, and the Annales Cambriae, the Annals of Wales, a few hundred years after that, they were, they were basically history books, the main history books of Britain and Wales. Right. And, um, but they themselves were just compilations of, of other books and can't be like factually verified. Yeah. But nevertheless, they were used and Arthur was mentioned in both. Um, the Arthur we know and love today, uh, you can trace back to uh, Geoffrey of Monmouth. and He was a priest who wrote Historia Regum Britanniae, the history of British kings, in the 1100s. But he based his stuff on the Historia Britonum, but it just became really popular. Right. So, like, he kind of based it on the other thing. Well, I mean, and most... some people even say he plagiarized, but it became <laughs> so popular, he was kind of uh, golden. Right. And, and I think, like, great. I think also he, um, I mean, most histories are based on previous histories. Sure. Um, so that's, that in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but yeah, I, I, I don't know what this article is implying that like he was, that he stole work or he fabricated it. Well, he was accused of fabricating some of it, so. So, well, either way, he gave the world the Arthurian legend. That's right. Like Arthur existed before this, like as we've seen, but he was the one that said like, there's a great story here, and I'm going to bulk this up. Yeah, and so he started naming sure. places. Yeah, he started contemporizing things. Like he 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 took um, this legend and put it into a context that the people who lived in his time would understand and be fascinated by. Yeah, and he introduced Christianity for the first time to the story. Um, the French got a hold of it, and they're all about a good romance novel. So they sort of introduced the love elements, uh, or not introduced, but uh, emphasized the love elements a little bit more. Yeah, about 50 years after Geoffrey of Monmouth yeah. um, made his uh, history, um, Cretan de Troy uh, came up with some stories that added that romantic part. Yeah. And a lot, like the I think the Grail stuff too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was the one who... who uh, came up with the romance between Lancelot and Guinevere yeah. and the Grail, the okay. search for the Grail, which wasn't a part of the story up until the 12th century. And most of the stuff had been like history books and poems, um, starting with the Vulgate cycle uh, or prose Lancelot is when you started getting these great prose stories and Christianity is woven in even more. Mm-hmm. And this is between 1210 and 1230. Right. Just to give you an idea of where we are. And they don't know if these stories were like maybe part of a popular literary trend at the time. Right. So where a bunch of people were writing them. Yeah, like or, chivalry was a big thing to write about. And, right. Yeah. Or if it was one author writing a series of stuff and they were not, they're not attributed to any single author, but they're, they're collected together as a body of work, the Vulgate cycle. Yeah. And those ones focus a little more on like Lancelot and the chivalrous knights and all that. Yeah, and the Grail too. Um, yeah, well, with Galahad. Yeah, they said that um, Joseph of Arimathea, who was in the Bible, he was the one who gave Jesus his tomb after Jesus was crucified and brought back. And uh, he said, "No, nah, I, I." Well, he didn't say that, but they 
jo- they said Joseph of Arimathea brought the grail mm-hmm. to Britain. Um, but then Galahad, Sir Lancelot's illegitimate son, was said in the Vulgate cycle that he discovered the grail because he was pure, of course. Yes. Until he went to the castle of Anthrax. <laughs> Remember that scene? <laughs> and the, the pure and chaste, uh, <laughs> Goes I, to the I castle and there's all the watch there's movie. all the ladies that are like tempting him. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> Michael Palin. Yeah. It's just like wide eyed. That's such a great movie, man. Uh, and then the big one um, that most of our modern stories are based on is Thomas Mallory's uh, *La Morte d'Arthur*, the death of Arthur. <laughs> yeah. And I read this in college. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it was tough. It was uh, sort of like a. A bit of a modernized mid- Middle English. Yeah. It wasn't quite Chaucer. It wasn't that tough. Um, but it was still a tough read. And I remember thinking at the time, can I just watch Excalibur? <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out I could because that, that was, that movie was specifically based on the death of Arthur. Right. Yeah. And so as you're, you're kind of seeing like each, um, each new century, each new, um, author is adding their own thing to it. Yeah. He didn't actually write it. I should say that he compiled the stories together. Oh, okay. Surely he cleaned them up and. Well, yeah, but he didn't. He didn't create a new work. He's, gotcha. He's known as. It's known as a compilation. Well, he did add some new stories about some other knights, Sir Gareth and Sir Tristan, um, and yeah. he 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 also kind of took the um, the focus off of the Celtic pagan mythology and really focused it onto the Christian mythology. Yeah. Um, and and at this point, the the idea that this whole thing is based on Celtic ideals and and um, myths is lost largely to history. Yeah, I mean, it, at the very least, it doesn't become nearly as apparent. Um, it, it, was he the one that added the Lady in the Lake, though? Oh no, that was the Vulgate cycle. Yeah, um, which he, is surprising added- to me because I would think that would be ancient Celtic mythology, but that wasn't added until the 13th century. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The Lady in the Lake and the idea of Mordred as Arthur's son huh. by his sister. You'd think those two would be real old. Yeah. No. No? No. It was a part of the preoccupation of the weirdos in the 13th century. Well, I think Mallory did add the, um, after Guinevere and Lancelot are busted, they go their separate ways to become uh, a nun and a monk. Oh, yeah. Respectively. Right. Um, so after Mallory, you have uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson. Um, who wrote the Idols of the King? Yeah, that creepy looking dude. And uh, great poet, though. Uh, yeah, but scary looking. And I love his name too. Yeah. Um, and then T. H. White wrote the Once and Future King, and that was the basis of the Sword in the Stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Disney action. That was a good movie, if I remember correctly. And yeah, Mer- it was good. Merlin was kind of like a kooky. I mean, it was weird, right? In that story? Yeah, in, in, uh, The Sword and the Stone. I don't remember that one that much. Was I, it, was that the animated? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, where he's like a young King Arthur who pulls the sword from the stone and. I didn't uh, see that. I, I must have seen it, but I was all about the Jungle Book. This came out about the same time. I know, but I was probably same, so obsessed with the Same exact animators book. and everything, yeah. You're like, I can't pay attention to this. All right, so. Um, to, to <laughs> lend my fascination to. Uh, all right, so we, we should talk a little bit about the real. Um, ties to real history and whether these people were real or these places are real. Uh-huh. Uh, so let's get to that after this message break. L A S I K. 
LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, buddy. So what's the deal? Was there a Camelot? Was there an Arthur? Were these knights real dudes? Um, probably. All right. Should so, we send it? So, uh, <laughs> well, so take Merlin, for example. Okay. He seems probably the least likely to have existed because he is a magician, a sorcerer. A magical wizard? Yeah. Yeah. A wizard. That's, that's a great word. Actually, is he a wizard or is he just a magician? So, well, I mean, come on. The two are fairly interchangeable. Oh, you just wait, my friend. There'll be some LARPers emailing. Oh, right, yeah. It is not nearly the same, sir. Well, let me explain to you the difference between a cleric and a mage. Um, so uh, he, he was apparently based on one or two people that really did exist, and both of them were holy men. They would have been druids. At least one of them would have been druids. Yeah. Um, he was, uh, one was named Murden Wilt. Yeah. And uh, another one was named Emrys Wledig. Yeah. That's a tough one. W-L-E-D-I-G. Well, th- th- there's two vowels in both of those names combined. <laughs> right. You know? It's just, yeah. It's almost like Russian. It's tough to read. Um, and both of them lived in the late 6th century. And one was um, uh, the first one, Murden. He yeah. was this wild man who who went into war and saw too much and, like, Went crazy and fled into the jungle. I've seen too much. Yeah. Wow. Apparently he suffered from uh, some, some, some sort of PTSD huh. and went and fled into the jungle. Uh, well, not the jungle because this is a British Isles. Yeah. <laughs> but the woods, we'll call them. Yeah. Uh, and lived as a wild man for many years. Um, and he was apparently a famous local, like, magic wild man. The other one... <laughs> Emrys was like a full-on, straight-up druid. He was yeah. like a, a prophet and advisor, and he definitely lived. So they think that possibly um, one of them was Merlin, or uh, folklore combined the two together and made him Merlin. I think that's what most of this stuff is. Yeah. P- possibly based on real people, add a dash of this and a dash of that, and mix it up, and you come up with a, a literary figure. That's just my take. Yeah. Uh, Camelot. Supposedly, if you read the Historia Regum Britanniae, um, he wrote that it was uh, Cornwall at uh, Tintagel Castle. And they've actually found a stone there in the 80s, 1980s, that an inscription that said, uh, descendant of Arthur, father of a descendant of Cole. 
um, and Monmouth, actually, the writer of that history book, uh, names King Cole, as in Merry Old Soul was he, that mm-hmm. same King Cole, um, as one of Arthur's ancestors. But there's a little bit of a rub because that castle was built in the early 1100s, so many hundreds of years later after Arthur was supposedly living. Right, and the author of this article um, accuses uh, Joffrey of basically using Tidjil Castle as a way to please his patron who had a cousin that lived there at the time. Yeah. Um, but the, some archaeological excavations have found that this Tintagel area uh-huh. was settled from at least 300 AD and was definitely in full swing, was a trading post basically and a fortified castle around the time when Arthur would have been conceived. So it actually is archaeologically possible that this was a place where he was born, at the very least, if there was a real Arthur, uh-huh. and he was born in the time frame that we're talking about, Tinnagel Castle was settled and in full operation in that area. Oh, really? Yeah. So it wasn't built hundreds of years later? There, the castle as it stands now was. Oh, okay. It could have been a settlement was built upon sure. settlement upon settlement, and as they've excavated downward, they found that at that time, yes, there's plenty of... So that stone could, in fact, be real? Uh-huh. Wow. All right. Busted. Yeah. Uh... Thomas Mallory said Camelot was Winchester Castle, uh, and for many hundreds of years, there was a wooden round table that hung on the wall with all the little names of the um, knights of the round table there. Um, but Winchester Castle was built in the 11th century, and they carbon dated the table to 1340 and said it was probably painted during the 1500s under King Henry VIII uh, because everyone was way into chivalry and uh, medieval history at that point. Right. Are you going to bust that one? Or is that one? No, that one makes sense. All but right, that is busted. Unbust, I mean. They, the uh, Cadbury Castle, the fort that's uh, in Somerset yeah. that's mentioned in here, too. That one, if anything, was Camelot. It would have been that place. Oh, yeah? Is that the leading? Yeah, but it wouldn't have been Arthur's. It would have been a one of the rulers that basically handed over Britain to the Saxons that Arthur had to come in and whose mess he had to unmake. Mm-hmm. Um it would have been that ruler's, and it, there's a 16-foot-thick um, fort, fortress made of timber and stone uh-huh. um, that is apparently unique to this castle that's from the 5th century um, that was written about from that time frame, from that period of time, was supposedly built around that period of time. So you have um, documentary evidence in the literature, yeah. and then you also have... The actual physical evidence of this castle that's built in a way that's just unique to it. Sure. Um, that supposedly belonged to this guy that Arthur may or may not have come in and taken over. Uh-huh. If he, if he were ruling in this area at the time, that would have been the castle that he would have taken over. So. Because gotcha. there it's was. The most heavily fortified. Yes. And, yeah. And it was just like a, a prime castle. Sure. In the area that he would have been in. Um, so if there was a Camelot, a, a castle that he ruled from, that probably would have been it. All right. So you're going. Josh votes for Cadbury Castle in Somerset. Yes. Okay. Um, Avalon is supposedly Glastonbury, where they have the music festival now. Oh, yeah? I think they have a big music festival there. Mm -hmm. My TV tells me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, here's the deal there. There was uh, the Glastonbury Tour, which is uh, sort of, I guess, (laughs) for for that area, it's a mountain. It's like a hill. It's a little hill. Yeah. Like the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain. Right. Um, the Glastonbury tour was uh, 
had the ruins of St. Michael's, which was an abbey built in the 12th century, which replaced an earlier abbey that was burned down. And while they were building the newer abbey, these monks said, you know what, we found graves containing bones. Look at the bones. Yeah. Man and a woman. And this is King Arthur, because there's a cross there. Yeah. And it's described in Latin, and it says it's King Arthur and Guinevere. So there's your proof. Even though the cross doesn't exist anymore, the bones don't exist anymore. They did read the inscription that was supposedly copied verbatim from the monks, and they said, some smart dudes said, no, that's 12th century Latin, my friend, not 6th century Latin. Yeah. You silly people. Yeah. So I guess there's a difference, and they knew. So, so that was quashed, or are you about to debust that? Debusting that. Sweet. So uh, Glastonbury Tor, this conical hill, um, used to be an island, and at the top of it is Glastonbury Abbey, which was built in the 12th century, yeah. but was built on the ruins of an earlier one. So that thing actually did happen. Sure. It, it did burn down. Apparently in the 1980s, they excavated and found a pair of 6th century graves, stone-lined graves. The bones are gone. There's no markers or anything like that. Yeah. But they would have been the kind of graves, and they were dated to Arthur's era. Okay. So that... If furthermore, yes, furthermore, the, there was evidence that these graves were disturbed in the 13th century, in the 1200s, or is it the 12th century? Sorry, th- that they were disturbed in the 12th century. So there's evidence that these graves are from the 6th century and that these 12th century monks did find them and open them up. Yeah. So whether or not they were Arthur and Guinevere or if this cross ever existed and what it said, it still remains to be proven. Sure. But... I mean, it's very possible that these monks were just trying to drum up patronage to rebuild their abbey. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, hey, we found Arthur. Yeah. So they may have forged the cross, but it's still entirely possible that that was Arthur right. and Guinevere. Just because they beefed up the story with the story of a cross doesn't right. mean that it wasn't truly their final resting place. Yeah. At the very least, there were a pair of 6th century graves there. With bones? No bones. Oh, oh. Well, where'd the bones go? I, I don't know if they moved them in the 12th century or if they just d- dissolved. Okay. I mean, we're talking a while. Yeah, sure. All right. So is that your vote? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Josh votes for uh, the Glastonbury tour. Right. Which I want to go to. I, this all this makes me want to go to the English countryside and just like find all this stuff. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, I like old things, and it's hard to get anything super old in this yeah. country. You know. Yeah, sixteen hundreds. Yeah, maybe fifteen hundreds if you go down to St. Augustine. Let's go to Rome. You want to see some old stuff? Go to Rome. I have. Yeah, I it's have too. Neat. It is neat. It's kind of neat to stand there in the Colosseum and think, "Holy cow!" Yeah. This is the oldest thing I've ever seen. That was the one that got me and Yumi was the Coliseum. Yeah, me too. I mean, we everywhere else we're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. For something about the Coliseum, it was, it was that was the yeah, name. I was I was pretty blown away too. Yeah, yeah, uh, and boy, the people, man, good looking. The the Romans, the, yeah, the, just all over Italy, <laughs> the dudes, the chicks, they were all like models. Yeah, very stylish, very stylish, and cats everywhere. Were there? Yeah, street cats in Rome. They're known for it. I don't remember seeing too many cats. Oh, you saw some cats. Oh, don't they live in like all of the ruins and everything? Um, they're they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the uh, Trevi Fountain there. That was something mm-hmm. else. That yes. one kind of took my breath away. Yeah. We should start a travel show. We should. <laughs> 
I think we just did. Uh, and finally, um, maybe some of these knights were real dudes. Uh, Sir Bedivere, um, he was one of the earliest uh, knights to appear in the Arthurian legends and one of his right-hand dudes. Um, he has appeared in other writings, uh, historical writings. That have nothing to do with the Arthurian legend. Exactly. And he was known as uh, Bedwer <laughs> Bedradant, a uh, member of the royal house of Findu, uh, which rose to power in Wales in the 6th century. And mm-hmm. then Sir Kay was also possibly a real dude. Yeah, both of them appear in a Welsh collection of uh, warrior poems called the Mabinogion. Mabinogion. Take your pick. Yeah. I'm not Welsh. You're not Welsh, so either one. <laughs> we get crap for not pronouncing things right, but this this stuff is tough. Oh, yeah, When man. you've got like 13 letters and one vowel, it's like, what do you do with that? Yeah. You know? And I mean, I'm looking at the alphabet that I recognize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My brain just won't put it together. Uh-huh. Agreed. And finally, Arthur himself. Yeah. Um, My vote is on a compilation of real people, like I said earlier. Some folks say he might have been a Roman leader named Lucius Artorius Castus, or maybe a Roman named Aurelius Ambrosius. See, I saw that Aurelius Ambrosius was his uncle, was Uther Pendragon's brother. And Uther and Aurelius had to seize power to start to restore um, their lineage. And Arthur followed after that. Okay, see? Well, I guess it depends on who you're reading. You know? Yeah. Some folks say he was uh, a, a British historian named Alan Wins- Wilson. Says he was a Welsh king, uh, Arthwis, in the seventh century. Yeah. I think everyone wants to claim a piece of it. I think that's what's going on here. You know, I think they're saying no. He was this Welsh king, or no, he was this Roman king. Mm-hmm. When I think he might have been all of them. Well, the idea that he was sent by the Pope to basically restore order or take the British Isles back from the Saxons definitely um, is lent credence by the idea that he kind of comes out of nowhere and like pulls the sword from the stone and is like, I'm arrived. I'm the king of kings now. Yeah. Um, so the idea that he came from somewhere else is, I mean, that that would suggest that he could have possibly been some Roman commander. Yeah. And there were Roman commanders who did come to Britain and fight the Saxons successfully. Was one named Arthur? Yeah. One was named Artorius. <laughs> well, there you have it. Yeah. Uh, and then some people say that Arthur wasn't a name but a title, Arth, and uh, which in Latin means bear. <laughs> and if that's the case, it could just be like, you know, it could be anybody. Yeah. Could be short for Arthur. Yeah. Could be bear. So why does this story persist? Because it's got romance. It's got chivalry. Mm-hmm. It's got all the classic elements of drama. Uh, in literature and fiction. So there you have it. And plus, Monty Python's take on it doesn't hurt mm. in perpetuating everything. What kind of a man can summon fire without flint or tinder? <laughs> <laughs> man, you know that movie inside and out, don't you? I watched it a lot at one point in my life. Nice. I think that's my favorite part of the movie, the um, none shall pass, when they have to pass the uh, mm-hmm. the guy that spits and <laughs> tells him about the rabbit. I remember the nun shall pass. I don't remember the spitting. Yeah, when he when he's when he's talking, he's got a lisp and he's, he's <laughs> yeah, spitting yeah. all over yeah, everybody. Yeah. 
You got anything else? I got nothing else. All right. If you want to learn more about uh, King Arthur, you can type in King Arthur in the search bar. We also recommend you go just look up stuff about King Arthur. There's plenty of stuff out there. It's fascinating. Um, you Let's see. I said search bar, right? You did, sir. Okay. Well, then that means it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this tribute to my father for Megan. Uh, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry wanted to write to tell you thank you immensely for the show. My dad, Howard, passed away nearly a year ago, and while I don't think he listened before he passed, I think he would have really enjoyed it. He was a tinkerer and loved learning new things. In fact, when I was younger and visited him during the summers, uh, I'd be alone most days at his apartment while he worked, and he would encourage me to search random things on the Internet and read about them to learn something new. He would even leave me lists like the planet Jupiter, the state of Wyoming, or the year 1845. I thought at the time it was pretty silly and only did it a few times, but now as an adult, I've since found your podcast a few months ago, and I find it really fascinating, and it reminds me of my dad and has been really helpful to me when I get down about him being gone. Uh, It makes me happy to know that he would probably think it's awesome that I spend my days learning about things now. So, Megan from Plano, Texas, thank you for that. And uh, in memory of your father, Howard, I think he would like the show, too. That's pretty cool. I'm sorry he's not around to hear it. No, but, I mean, we're carrying on his legacy. Exactly. Nice. So I guess we need to do a show on the year 1845 (laughs) for the state of Wyoming. Um, Never. Not Wyoming. Uh, (laughs) If you, thanks a lot for that, Megan. That was nice of you to share that. Um, If you want to get in touch with me and Chuck to tell us anything you like, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. And uh, you can join us at our super dope home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. With over 100,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com is a leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash no stuff, K-N-O-W-S-T-U-F-F, to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold, pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours, too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions.